comes to speak this morning. Thank you. Well, I am as excited as a three-headed woodpecker to be back at Bethesda. <clears throat> I decided to spend Holy Week at Bethesda and made the mistake of letting Pastor J. Daniel Smith know. So he informed me I was preaching today. I was going to hear him and be here next Sunday. But how many believe our steps are ordered of the Lord? And you know, so I'm going to have to leave Tuesday because since then plans have changed. And I'm going next week to preach in beautiful Baghdad, Iraq. So would you pray for me as I minister there? I want to tell you folks, do you know there's more going on in the world than an election? Hundreds of thousands of refugees in Baghdad. They pick them up on the streets every morning, the ones who have died in the night. And our church is the church in which I'll be ministering is packed with people who are sleeping. They're refugees sleeping in the church, being fed in the church. But the gospel is being proclaimed. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching in Vienna, Austria, at Vienna Christian Center. And because of our relief efforts there, in the services were more than 100 former Muslims who are serving Jesus, attending Vienna Christian Center since this outreach you know, there's a God in heaven who has a plan and a purpose, knows every individual on earth. Please turn with me. I'm sure you know this passage of Scripture well. In Psalm 139, it's just a beginning. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Do you believe that God knows you personally? Knows you every day when you rise up? You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. May I tell you, friends, what is so wonderful is not only there's nothing too big for God, there's nothing too small for God. He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know what all. Do you know that he's heard your prayer before you pray it? You have enclosed me behind him before and laid your hand upon me. Down to verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. What he's saying is, in my mother's womb, you wove me together. The Hebrew word is sachak, like a fabric. You wove me together in my mother's womb. And you saw me in my mother's womb. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Do you know that for many of you here today, this day is ordained by your Creator for something He wants to do in and through your life. Would you just at this moment put your hands in a receiving position? Say, God, I want what you have for me. I want you have what you have through me. Oh, God, I thank you that we serve a God who speaks, who does not leave us in the dark, but has promised to guide us into all truth. I pray we would know your truth this morning and that your truth would make us free from anything that holds us back from your divine purpose 
and very specific plan in each of our lives. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, this is going to seem strange to you. I want you to punch the person next to you and say, Greek grammar is exciting. I have to tell you, I, I, I grew up in school. I had Mrs. Probst for an English teacher. You were not allowed to make grammatical mistakes. Did any of you have a teacher like that? And it dry, I'm just honest. I'm off the platform because I may not have the anointing here. It drives me nuts when network news people say things like, there's a lot of. How many of you, that just grates on you? You know, just simple subject, verb agreement. Hello? I seen it, see it in print on subtitles on CNN and Fox News. Grammatical errors. Do you know grammar matters? I'm going to start a movement. Grammar matters. Romans chapter 12. I want to talk to you about tense this morning. Tense, you know, not that you're tense and uptight. Tense in terms of time. We exist in time. God exists outside of time. But God acts in time because that's where we are. Now, part of God's plan for me, I didn't know it when I went to Des Moines, Iowa, which is where I met J. Daniel Smith. And he came and with the Wall Brothers, sang and played in, in uh, First Assembly in Des Moines. And, and Open Bible College in Des Moines, Iowa, lost its Greek teacher. And the Greek teacher knew that I had had two years of Greek in Bible College. And the, the, the dean had a choice between an extremely competent, liberal Greek professor in town and a semi-competent Pentecostal. Now... Competence matters, okay? I have only had surgery once in my life, and I was operated on by a Muslim woman. I would rather have surgery by a competent Muslim than an incompetent Pentecostal. How many agree with me? So anyway, I had to just study to keep ahead of the students because they had had one year and I'd had two years. And, and I'm forever grateful that God provided me that opportunity to immerse myself in this wonderful language that God chose to deliver the New Testament to us. And one aspect of Greek is that concerning tense, how something happens is even more significant than when it happens. And I know I've mentioned this in the past because I remember Des Evans loved this message, which, man, Des loved it. I love it. And I dealt with this linear tense issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth, and Des can still quote the points back to me, and I'm proud of that. But the, you see, the issue is when when Paul says, I, Paul, planted the word in Corinth, it's a punctiliar tense. It means it happens at one point in time. And then Apollos came along and watered 
the word, the seed, at another point in time that Paul had planted. And then it sounds like then God came along and caused the growth or gave the increase or made. That's not what he's saying. Because he, he changes tense for God's activity to a linear tense. And it means all along God was causing the growth. That before Paul planted the word, God prepared the soil of the heart. How many of you know that even before you received the gospel, God was at work in your life getting your heart ready? And that's a powerful truth. So that's the difference between punctiliar and linear tense. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is the turning point of the book of Romans, he says, therefore, and therefore means that the previous 11 chapters are coming to this hinge point, and he's saying because of all the mercies of God, about which we've been singing this morning, he said, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you want God's will in your life? That word, Greek word translated prove means you'll live it out in experience. You'll live God's will. Now there are two tenses here. When he says present your body, that is a punctiliar tense. There's a point in time when you consecrate yourself to Jesus. But when he says don't be conformed to this world, that's a linear tense. It's an ongoing action. And by the way, I wish I had time to talk about the active, middle, and passive voice there because that is really powerful. In fact, I will take time to tell you. You know, when you present your body, that's active voice in Greek. It means that's something you are totally capable of doing. You can do it. But when it comes to not being conformed to this world, it's not active voice. Now, I grew up in Pentecost and holiness. I am extremely grateful for my Pentecostal and holiness heritage. But we had hang-ups. When I was Pentecostal, you grew up in the 50s and 60s as a Pentecostal boy. You had enough guilt to be Catholic without the benefit of the without the benefit of the confessional to get rid of it. So you just had this perpetual guilt, so you got saved every week. And you know, I tried to keep the victory. But you know, I failed. I know none of you did, but I did. And you know what he's saying is not be conformed to the world is middle voice. It means you determine whether or not it happens. But the force that enables you not to be like the world is not active. It's not your capacity not to conform to this world unless God helps you. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind is not active voice. It's not middle voice. It's passive voice. In other words, folks, transformation it's not something we can pull off. Only God can change us totally from one kind of a thing. Listen, this is not, when he says transformed, this is a little Greek vocabulary. The Greek word is metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. 
It's not talking about a little psychological adjustment or learning to accept your identity or getting over your hang-ups. Metamorphosis describes a kind of change in nature like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly in which he says you will be completely changed from one kind of a creature to another kind of a creature that is nothing like what you used to be. And that can only happen because of the power of God that transforms you. Present your body is punctilier. You can do it. You maybe did it at kids' camp. They talk in the announcement about camp. Do you know camp is wonderful? Do you know that young kids are called to the ministry in camp? Filled with the Holy Spirit in camp. Saved in camp. It happens at a point in time. But here is the first principle. Just two principles I want to share with you this morning. First of all, it's this. We are being transformed. It is a lifelong process. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, we are being conformed, don't be, not to conform to this world, but we are being conformed to his image from glory to glory. We being transformed, we being completely changed from glory to glory. It happens in stages throughout our life. And after that punctiliar experience, of receiving Christ, of committing your life to Christ, there's a transformation. And you know, there are children somewhere, I think, meeting during the service here in Children's Church. And you know that God is moving in Children's Church like he's moving in adult church. A number of years ago, in Hong Kong, a little church called the Yuen Long Church. They had 30 on Easter in that church. And the pastor's daughter, six years of age, invited her six-year-old friend from public school, a little Buddhist boy named Billy Lau, to come to Sunday school. Now, I will tell you that we know from research very few people receive Christ after only one presentation of the gospel. Did you know that? It takes repeated times. But Billy Lau, it was important that this happen. This six-year-old Buddhist boy heard the gospel of Jesus that Sunday school and received Jesus as his Savior. Do you believe that a six-year-old Buddhist boy can be born again of the Spirit of God in Sunday school? And it was very important that Billy Lau received Christ that first time because when he got home from church, from Sunday school, his Buddhist father beat him for attending the Christian church. That would kind of be an incentive not to go back. But Billy Loud had an experience. An experience with Jesus. And he went back again and again and again. And I'll fast forward to tell you, Billy Lau is a grown man today, and Billy Lau is my friend. And I asked Billy Lau, I knew him for some time before I learned about his father beating him on his way home from church. And I said, Billy, did your dad beat you every Sunday when you went home from church? He laughed. He said, no, not every Sunday, but most Sundays. Can you imagine being a six-year-old kid you don't know on your way home from church if you're going to get a beating or not that day? And Billy kept going back invited all six of his brothers and sisters, 
all six of whom went to the Wenlong Church, all six of whom also received Jesus as their Savior, all seven of whom are adults serving Jesus today. When Billy Law was 16 years of age, his Buddhist mother came to the Yuen Long Church and received Jesus. When he was 17 years of age, his Buddhist father received Jesus. And Billy Lau's father's in heaven today. Billy Lau's mother attends a different church today. It's called the Yuen Long, starts with the same name, Yuen Long Kam Kwong Church. In the new territories in Hong Kong, Pastored by her son, Billy Lau. You see, Billy went to Assemblies of God Bible School and went and planted a church in the new territories where they were putting all the new high-rises up when they ran out of room in Hong Kong. And he said, God called him out there to plant a church, and I have preached in that church. And I want to show you a little video clip. Kimber, would you show that little Hong Kong clip? You'll see Billy Lau. That's him in the black jacket and the gray slacks. This is one of five Sunday services in the Wenlong Kam Kwong Church. I'll wait just a moment. It's a very special service. You see, this is just the Sunday afternoon high school youth service in the Yuenlong Kam Kwong Church because, brothers and sisters, that is the transforming power of God in the life of a six-year-old Buddhist boy. That's the multiplying power of the gospel. We are being transformed. He says, present your body at a point in time, but not being conformed. It's an ongoing linear action. Being transformed, it's an ongoing linear action. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, after Paul talks about the promises in the previous chapters, he says this. He says, therefore having these promises, beloved. Now, what are the promises? Right before the therefore, the promises are, he's quoting an Old Testament promise of a relationship with God, that God will be our God and we will be his people. And he said, having those promises that we are God's people, let us cleanse ourselves. By the way, that's a reflexive pronoun. It literally is saying we have the capacity to stop some of the stuff we're doing. Hello? Of every defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, and the fear of God. Now, I told you, I cherish my holiness background. You ladies, how many of you did not grow up in a holiness background? Let me see your hands. You ladies. I just want to see the ladies. How many ladies did grow up in a holiness background? Okay. You couldn't wear one pearl. L listen, when I grew up, you couldn't have one pearl on your ear. Ladies, am I telling the truth? Not anymore. Look around. You can wear fishing tackle today at Bethesda. Listen. You see, here's the thing, and by the way, this is a little, little insight. In the 50s, the men could dress fit to kill, but not the women. Hello? There were no restrictions on the men, were there? But you see, may I tell you, he says, cleanse yourself of every defilement. That's a punctiliar tense. 
There's a defilement in your life. Now, let's not talk about body defilements. Listen, do you know what? You don't get holy just by taking your earrings off. Holiness begins in the heart. It is an, an inward work that is manifested outwardly. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to affect how you dress. There is a proper way to dress as a Christian man and woman. But I'll tell you what, just changing your clothes doesn't make you holy. Cleanse yourself. Let's not talk about defilement of body. He said defilement of spirit. Let me just name you one thing. A defilement. Unforgiveness. Do you know that unforgiveness is such a defilement that Jesus made it the only aspect of the Lord's Prayer that had a condition to it? He does not say, give us this day our daily bread as we feed the hungry. But he does say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And to make sure we got the point, he put a footnote on the Lord's Prayer and says this, for if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Unforgiveness is a defilement. And you can take care of it today. Punctilier. At a point in time, you can say, I forgive them. I forgive you. But perfecting holiness? <laughs> That's not punctilier. It's a linear tense. Yes. Cleanse yourself of a defilement. But perfecting holiness is linear. As we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, we are becoming holy as he is holy. So we are being transformed. But this is Holy Week. And I really want to focus on the punctiliar. I want to share with you one of my favorite texts Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. I think Kimbrell put it on the screen. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Both of those verbs are punctiliar. He rescued us this week. We look back to 2,000 years ago when our Lord, the sinless Son of God, paid the penalty for sin, though he had never committed the crime. And it is for that reason, I believe, the Apostle Peter could preach in Acts chapter 4, it was impossible. Say that word with me. Impossible that death could hold him in its power. Excuse me, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. It was impossible that death could hold him. Why? He'd never sinned. And he led captivity captive. And after three days, he rose again. We sang about it this morning. And he said to John, the beloved in the book of Revelation, I hold the keys of hell and the grave. 
to some people. Linear. Yes, Jesus came. I love the way Peter says it in the first part of his second epistle. His divine power has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Watch it if you rejoice in that because if you believe that, there's no excuse. Because his power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And while we are being transformed, and it is a linear action, there was a day, there was a day, people, we are commemorating this week, this Friday. It just happens to fall this year is my birthday. I was born not on Good Friday back then, but on Good Friday this week. And it's not my only birthday. How many of you have two birthdays? I was born at St. Luke's Hospital on March 25th in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And seven years later, my parents were itinerating as missionaries to Africa. And they left me in my grandparents' house. I was staying with them at 911 Third Avenue Southwest in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And Thursday night, they had it midweek at Thursday night in that church. Adult prayer and Bible study. They didn't have super church, kids church, anything. We all just went to adult prayer meeting and Bible study. And our circulation was cutting our knees off because our feet didn't reach the floor. You ever wonder why kids squirm on a pew? It's because their feet don't touch the floor. And it's cutting their circulation off. That's why they got little chairs in children's church. They didn't even know we had hang-ups in those days. They just said, you're full of the devil. <laughs> and I don't remember what Pastor Geist preached. I don't remember what Pastor Geist preached. I just know what the Holy Spirit was speaking to this seven-year-old kid's heart. And I went home to my grandparents' house and the little cot where I slept with the green, scratchy army blanket. I remember it on my forehead as I put my forehead on that army blanket and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Like Billy Lau did at six years of age in Hong Kong. It happened on one day. How many of you remember the day? You don't remember the date maybe, but you remember not even the day of the week, but you remember the place. I went pheasant hunting last year, and I was going to send the picture, but I didn't. But I took a picture of 911 3rd Avenue. I got pictures of St. Luke's Hospital. Went pheasant hunting up in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Took a picture of the hospital where I was born and my grandpa's house where I was born again. Punctiliar at one point in time. It happened. And in a crusade in Costa Rica this week, do you understand the punctiliar power of people? You know what? The Bible doesn't say if you know and understand the four spiritual laws, you'll be saved. If you can recite and believe the Apostles' Creed, which, by the way, is in my iPhone, in my personal devotions, the Lutheran version. I go through the Apostles' Creed. It's marvelous. It doesn't say if you can quote the Apostles' Creed, you'll be saved. If you know and believe the 16 foundational truths of the Assemblies of God, you'll be saved. Salvation is not easy, but it is incredibly simple. 
In Romans chapter 10, Paul says it. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? I don't think we understand the power of that punctiliar point in time manifestation of the grace of God. A couple of years ago, I got on a train in Xining, China for Lhasa, Tibet, 25 hours by train. Highest train in the world when it goes through those mountains. At 16,000 feet, that train goes. And the, the, the cars are airtight, and they pump oxygen in while you're going through the mountains. And I arrived in Lhasa, Tibet. It was a high festival of Tibetan Buddhism. And there were tens, multiplied tens of thousands of Tibetan worshipers surrounding the Jokhang Temple, turning prayer wheels. Because you see, Buddhism is, is a non-theistic religion. Really, you're attaining your own righteousness and salvation by attaining merit for good works. And they turn a prayer wheel. Kimber, show that little clip from Tibet, and you'll see women going around the temple turning these prayer wheels. You see on each wheel is embossed a prayer. You'll notice nothing is coming from their mouths because they're not saying that. They just turn the wheel, and the wheel is praying. And they think, and they see little portable prayer wheels. They turn as they march around the temple. And soon you'll see a Tibetan Buddhist monk who prostrates himself on the ground every third step, praying a prayer every third step, trying to achieve merit. And these Buddhist monks, many of them, make the same journey I made from Xining, China, to Lhasa, Tibet, 1,218 miles, prostrating themselves every third step trying to achieve merit so that in the next life, in the next reincarnation, they'll come back in a higher form instead of a lower form as an animal or a bird or an insect. Trying to achieve what we would call salvation. And I want to say to them, the price has already been paid. You don't have to turn a wheel. You don't have to prost. Just call upon the name of the Lord. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How will they hear unless someone tells them? And may I tell you, friends, there are people all around you in the Metroplex. A businessman talking on his cell phone, driving in his BMW. Down 35W, if he does not know Jesus, is just as lost as that Tibetan monk is. Because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Luke chapter 15, 
the Pharisees, the religious guys, were grumbling, I'm going to paraphrase here, about whom Jesus was hanging out with. Right? They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. We saw him in it an outburger. You know, there are some Christians don't like to see Christians hanging out with sinners. And they were talking, and because of their grumbling about Jesus, Jesus told them a parable. Read it carefully in the Word. Don't read the headlines by Zondervan or Nelson or the publishers. The headlines by the publishers are not inspired of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain why. In my translation, it says it, there are three parables in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the what? Prodigal son. Well, first of all, there aren't three parables in Luke 15. There's only one. And it says that. He told them this parable singular. And it wasn't talking about the lost sheep. It was talking about the lost sheep, lost coin, and not the prodigal son. Prodigal is an old English term that meant a wasteful spender. I don't know who gave that part of the story, the title prodigal, but how many think the point of the story is that the kid wasted money? If the point of the story was the kid wasted money, the father would not have spent a bunch more money having a party for him when he came home. It's three stories about the lost the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Read the vocabulary. And each of the stories, it's so simple, make the same points. The lost are found, and there's joy. That simple. And, what, and Jesus gives them a preview in the first one, and he's telling those parables those stories of this parable when he tells the Pharisees and he says to them in this succinct statement, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people that have no need of repentance. That's the priority of heaven. And then he tells the story of the lost coin and how the woman searches until she finds it, calls her neighbors, rejoice with me. It's always, I found it, rejoice. And you know the next story when the father and the lost son comes home, rejoice with me. My son who was lost is found. But I have to zero in on a couple things about that story about because I have to tell you, the real, the real focus of the person, the person of the major focus in that story is not the lost son, it is the father. Because Jesus is teaching the Pharisees how the heavenly father feels. Feels. God feels. I've been contemplating it. You know, the Spirit can be grieved by us. 
The Spirit feels. The Father feels. The Son feels. And he was trying to help him understand, you're uptight about whom I'm hanging out with. The Father feels about these sinners. More joy when one of them repents than over 99 that don't even need it. That are already safely in the fold. And so you know the story that the son takes a third. Des would tell you. He got a third of it. The older son gets two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son gets a third. So he gets the third of the inheritance, takes off, spends it in a far country, partying, ends up in a field feeding pigs. Now remember, this is a Jewish boy. A Jewish boy reduced to feeding pigs. And he's so hungry, he wanted to even eat the pods, the leftovers from the pigs. And then, I love this, and I know some of your translations say he came to his senses. That is paraphrastic. It's okay. Let me tell you what the Greek says. It's a simple, reflexive pronoun. He came to himself. May I tell you, if you're away from the Father, you are not yourself. You are not who God created you to be. He came to himself. This is not where I belong. My father's servants, paid hands, are better off than I am. I'll arise and go to my father. And I don't know if he'd been to Bible school and had homiletics class, but he prepared a three-point sermon. Point one. I'm going to say to dad, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Point two, I am not worthy to be your son. Point three, make me one of your hired servants. So he heads for home. And now we take it at the other side of the story. The father saw him while he was a long way off. No matter how far off you are. The Father sees you and wants to welcome you home. And he doesn't wait for the son to grovel his way back. The Father runs to the son. Now Ruth and I sometime within the next year will go back again to London and I will go and she'll sit waiting on me at the National Gallery while I go through and look at the paintings. I love art. And my favorite realistic artist was Jean Van Eyck, Flemish painter. And by the way, next month I'll go to Ghent in Belgium. I'll make my missionary friend drive me back again so I can see the altarpiece in the cathedral at Ghent that Jean Van Eyck painted. And I'll go to the National Gallery where the marriage of Giovanni Arnolfini is there, a print of it's in our dining room. And I'll go see another one. It's a painting called The Prodigal Son. It's, it's a nice painting. 
not biblical. You got this old guy in robes, gray-haired father, and a young man in rags on his knees with his arms around the legs of his father. And that's not what the Bible says. The father says the father ran. The son did not fall on the father. The father fell on the son. Oh, some translations say embraced. The Greek word means he fell. His knees buckled and he fell and the son had to catch him. As he threw his arms around the sun. And we don't know, you know, the scripture doesn't give you time gaps, the pauses, but there was a bit of a pause there. Joy, weeping. And at some point, the father steps back and the son starts his speech Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am not worthy to be your son. And you know, for years I never caught this, and I have a feeling a lot of you never have caught it either. And I'll tell you why, because it's not there. You don't tend to catch what's not there. That's why Miss Marple's in business and Hercule Poirot are in business. The great detectives are in business because they notice what's not there. What's not there? Read it when you go home. The son never gets to say the third point. See, this is Jesus' story. He can tell it how he wants to. He was saying to those Pharisees something long before they were able to comprehend it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be your son. And he never gets to say, make me your hired servant. The father interrupts him and says, bring the best robe. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Not only don't you, do you don't have to pay your way back, you can't pay your way back. The father will not let you and he brings the robe and notice, by the way, it says it in Greek. Punch the person next to you say, Greek grammar is exciting. The father doesn't just say, bring the robe. He says, bring it quickly, now, immediately. Which tells you, no time even to take a bath and clean himself up. But the best robe is put on the dirty sinner, just as I am, without one plea. There's an old song I learned down in the islands. I don't know if you ever heard it, Dan. It goes like this. I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me, gives to me. I am covered over with a robe of righteousness, and Jesus lives in me, lives in me. 
What a joy it is to know the Heavenly Father loves me so and gives to me my Jesus when he looks at me he sees not what I used to be but he sees the Jesus the robe of righteousness is his we are being transformed only because we have been transferred. Punctilier, he rescued us 2,000 years ago. He transferred us. He rescued all of us at one point in time. Every one of us was rescued on the same day, and we're going to celebrate it Friday and Sunday. It was our rescue day. But we are transferred, everyone on our own day. Transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, Lord Jesus? Friday, we will somberly, soberly, even sorrowfully contemplate your suffering. And we can't imagine that you bore for us. But Sunday, we will rejoice, we will shout. Because you rose from death and conquered it once and for all. So that we might have everlasting life. Because the Father Jesus taught about in Luke 15. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him and call upon his name would not perish, but have everlasting life. With heads bowed and eyes closed. You're here this morning. You don't have the peace of God in your heart that if you were to die today or the Lord were to return today, that you're ready to stand before him. You're like that son. You know you sinned against heaven and in the Father's sight, you're not worthy to be his son. But his word has told you today, no matter how far off you think you are, the Father's looking for you. You may have served him at one time, but you know you've turned away from him. You need his forgiveness. Right where you are in that seat, you can call on the name of the Lord. And I'd like the privilege of praying with you would you just lift a hand and put it down and say, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you over there. You see, someone might see my hand. What's more important is God will see your hand. God will hear your prayer. 
God will answer your prayer. We'll wait a moment for you. Just lift a hand and put it down. Yes, thank you back there. Thank you. It's your prayer God wants to hear. You didn't sin my sins, so you can't pray my prayer. And I didn't sin your sins, so I can't pray your prayer. But I can lead you in a prayer and try to put in the words what I think you'll want to say. And if it'll help you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And I'd like other believers to join with you. Let's all pray it together. Friends, would you pray with these five that raised their hands? Lord Jesus. Thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for 2,000 years ago rescuing us all. And now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. And transfer me to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. In Jesus' name.